Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. Just a heads up, this episode includes mentions of sex crimes. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. There used to be a time when we didn't really have a term for the idea of revenge porn. Spreading someone's intimate content online without their consent was just a thing that happened on the internet. Just last week, 19-year-old Aaron Coleman won the Democratic primary for a Kansas House seat. Even after admitting to obtaining nude photos of a girl when he was 14, trying to blackmail her into sending him more photos, and spreading them online when she refused. On Twitter, journalist Glenn Greenwald of The Intercept called Aaron's behavior, quote, bad middle school bullying. But this kind of behavior isn't just bullying. 
It's a serious sex crime. When we minimize revenge porn, we're contributing to an attitude that says once someone takes an intimate photo of themselves, they deserve whatever happens next, even if it means their life is destroyed, they're harassed, or worse. Luckily, women are fighting to build a better internet, one where we have the right to feel safe online. You could be forgiven for thinking of Carrie Goldberg as a real-life superhero. Instead of a cape, she rocks heels, bold statement glasses, and sometimes even caps it off with a baseball hat reading, I sue abusers. With her law firm, she spent her professional life holding all manner of internet creeps, abusers, and stalkers accountable. Going head-to-head with powerful abusers and their enablers is scary, but Carrie has never been one to back down from a challenge. She represented Lucia Evans and Paz de la Huerta, who were among the first women who made public allegations against Harvey Weinstein, which led to his arrest. Her book, Nobody's Victim, is about her own experiences with an abusive ex who vowed to use the internet to ruin her life and her journey to become the lawyer she needed. Carrie has been responsible for creating a massive cultural change around the kind of experiences marginalized people can expect from the internet. Her work, creating accountability for people who misuse the internet to cause harm, forces us to ask, why should we accept mistreatment as a given? Why can't things be better? Carrie, it turns out, has been holding creeps accountable since the very beginning. So one of the stories I read about you is that when you were in school, one of your classmates was bragging about having gotten a hand job from one of your girlfriends. And you responded by gluing a bunch of amputated doll hands to a poster and giving it to him with a card that says, we'll give you a hand. Has holding people accountable for their bad behavior always been a mission of yours? <laughs> it didn't feel like it was a, a mission of mine, no. But it was a fun pastime. And I remember um, one of my friends was on the boys' soccer team. And she was the only girl on the team. We didn't have a girl soccer team in Aberdeen. And there was an incident where she was on the school bus and they were going to an away game and she fell asleep with her mouth open. And she told me about how uh, when she woke up, there were all these pubes in her mouth. And all, I guess a bunch of, of her teammates had like plucked their pubes and put it, put them in her mouth. Now, I was a member of the Yearbook team, and I got assigned to write this story about the boys' soccer team. And I got kicked off the Yearbook team, or the Yearbook um, class, because the teacher had realized that the first letter of each word in the first couple sentences spelled out pubic pluckers. (laughs) So, um, you know, now that's just like, that's a Title IX situation, you know, like her waking up and having, the, you know, that that's a disciplinary issue. Back then, it was, it was, we didn't think that much of it. It was playful. But I mean, she was the only girl on that team. You know, it was, it was, um, it's certainly impacting her enjoyment of it. Boys will be boys. It's just a joke. She deserved it. I'd never let something like that happen to me. It's difficult for me to admit, but I've had these kinds of harmful, victim-blaming reactions to hearing about the sexual abuse of a classmate. I was 15 and it was gossip, something to whisper about in homeroom. I got to feel like part of the in-group, judging another girl for something that was done to her. It was wrong, and I wish I had known better. 
young me contributed to a culture that treated serious crimes and violations like some big joke. It wasn't a joke. Your work has been incredibly impactful for me, for my own process of, un of understanding the cultural change that needs to happen around those kinds of stories, right? Um, when I was in high school, I think I was in 10th grade, you know how every high school has that big scandal that happens in your, in your, in your class or in your school that everybody's talking about? In my school, it was a girl had sent intimate pictures to her boyfriend, clearly just for him, and he sent them to everybody. You know, he sent, we lived in a, uh, we went to a pretty small school. It was an all-girls school where there was an all-boys school nearby. And these pictures were seen by everybody. And I, I hate to say this, it's like a shameful confession, but 15-year-old Bridget thought this was a joke, right? Like 15-year-old Bridget thought that because she had taken these pictures at all, she deserved what happened to her. She deserved to be shamed. And you know, I, I was very young, but looking back, I thought about it as a, as a joke, right? I didn't think it was serious. And I thought that, you know, it was okay to make fun of her, to shame her because she had done this to herself and she deserves it. And it wasn't until becoming older did I really step back and think like, I was really complicit in continuing a cultural attitude that A, when things like this happen, that it's just a joke, it's not serious, it's not a big, it's not a crime. And B, that the victims deserve to, to whatever like scorn or shame they get because they, they put themselves in this situation. And I guess my question is, how do we get to a place where we more people go through that process of being like, oh, well, actually, I believe some pretty fucked up stuff about victims, about sexualized violence. And I have a role in making sure that, that people, everybody understands that these are very serious. I mean, Bridget, I, what you're talking about is, is like, it is the issue. <laughs> you know, like most of my underage clients, um, almost all of them are that victim, are the person that the, the scandal um, around the high school is, is um, orbiting around. <laughs> and, um, it's, you know, it, it is like the, the issue is that kids don't learn empathy and they don't develop empathetic skills until later on and they can't role reverse with, with the victims. And so instead they want to be, there's a natural instinct in all of us to want to be part of the gossip and part of the story and to see the picture that everyone else is seeing and talking about and not to be the like upstander who is like, that's actually a sex crime. And everyone who's looking at that and has it on their phone and is sending it to other minors is, is actually engaging in a felony, you know, child pornography, like felonious behavior. But the issue is that um, that attitude of, of victim blaming and stuff, which is really natural in kids, it, it's also frequently present in the administrators, um, in the school resource officers who are cops, and even in, in the people, um, in the parents who, who get involved, including sometimes the victim's parents, a lot of times our clients don't take immediate action because they're afraid of um, their parents disciplining them. Um, and it's just, you know, we talk about consent education and how we need to teach kids about consent, but a big component of that is, is um, about empathy and just, you know, doing role reversal exercises where it, kids have to imagine what it's like 
to be in somebody else's shoes. And I think that's important when we're talking about race and gender and, and also um, victimization. One of Carrie's clients, a Brooklyn teen with mental disabilities, was raped at a stairwell while at school. When she reported what happened, her school counselor decided that she was at fault and suspended her. Sadly, her story is not really that uncommon. School-aged black and brown girls are more likely to face interpersonal violence at school and are also disproportionately criminalized and punished. Carrie's client won a $950,000 settlement against the city, and a city spokesperson promised $47 million annually in school climate training programs. It won't undo the hell she suffered, Carrie said, but it will buy her some comfort and healing. You know, it's not necessarily about suing, although I am a big believer in that when it's when the circumstances are right, but it's, it's like making, amplifying your voice. And I, I mean, sometimes when I would be writing my legal complaints in preparation of lawsuits, I would get so emotional that I would just go on these like Twitter, Twitter, like, like storms, you know, just like diva fits. But even that, you know, those would get retweeted. And by the time I filed my complaints, I had a lot of journalists that were, um, that were in line to, to cover them. Hmm. Um, some of it's just like letting the natural rage of the injustice like speak for itself. Let's take a quick break. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. 
Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeletemecom slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay, they can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. And we're back. Carrie has a real connection to her clients. She rages about the injustices they face on Twitter. She uses her own experiences to help them combat stigma and shame and let them know they're not alone. I feel very invested in, in um, making the process of the litigation or getting justice tolerable <laughs> because it can take years and you need, you need them to be able to, to feel like it's worth it. And it's, um, it's stressful at times and it can be very um, invasive, you know, like when you're having to relive, when you're only 16, 17, you're having to relive this awful thing that happened to you when you're 13. You need, you need to like feel like it's, it's for something really important. And, um, and also just getting back to what you were talking about, Bridget, about how, um, you know, when we're young, we can actually be complicit in some of the violation. It makes me think about um, how much more traumatizing it is to be a victim when you're when you're young, and we where not only have have our violators not developed uh, the skill of empathy, but the victims haven't figured out how to cope, and it can feel like your whole world is crushing around you if. If you are not only sexually violated, but then all the students in your class, you know, think you're a joke and are spreading it. And, you know, you're afraid your parents are going to punish you and you're afraid your school's going to punish you. And, and like kids already don't have control over, over their lives. And, and then to, to be kind of socially ostracized or, or put in this category of other and have your friendships kind of crumble, like that is that can create such desperation. Um, and every single one of our young clients has been suicidal during, during those moments. It's just like, they don't have the coping skills. I didn't when I was that age. When Carrie was younger, she was victimized by abusive exes. One had intimate images of her and vowed to use them to ruin her life. This was before revenge porn was even really a thing. 
People didn't know how to talk about it or deal with it when it happened. And lawyers didn't really know how to handle what she was going through. In your book, you talk about how you became the lawyer that you that you wish you had had in your 30s. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Um, well, I had some uh, violence. <laughs> you know, I, I was a victim of, of some dating violence and incident of sexual violence uh, before I started my law firm. And um, when I was trying to escape my ex-boyfriend's stalking and, and he was um, just besieging me with, with text messages and threats and, and false police reports and it was never ending. Um, I had trouble finding a lawyer. Um, you know, I, I worked with somebody on the domestic violence piece. I worked with somebody on the, um, the bogus criminal complaints piece. But for everyone that I talked to, this was a real like abnormal case for them. Um, and, you know, it, you don't want to be the, the, the outlier when it comes to getting uh, legal help and, and having a lawyer, um, you know, be kind of learning as they go. And, and it was unpredictable for them, you know, what would happen or, or the, kind of, the profile of my offender was, was something really new to them. And um, when I finally got my orders of protection and, and he pled guilty, which was six months after the breakup, um, I quit everything and started my law firm a few months later when I was, you know, in retrospect, I was still in the midst of uh, a lot of trauma, but um, I I started this law firm basically to become the kind of lawyer that I needed because I'd gotten this kind of involuntary education (laughs) into, um, into, into the world of, of, you know, being stalked and having no control over what's happening in the internet. And I learned that in New York, we didn't have a law criminalizing, um, you know, somebody sending around your naked pictures. And so it, the internet component of, of the attack on me was, was the most scary thing that, um, the scariest part about it, because even after I got my order of protection, I knew that legally he could still be sending around my images. He, you know, as far as I know, he didn't. But, but there was always this like thing, this, that he had threatened to, and, and, uh, he had sent me emails saying that he, with the picture saying that he'd blind copied, um, you know, people that I was, uh, like other lawyers and judges and stuff. Um, but it was like this constant anxiety that like, I wasn't, I wasn't protected even after all the legal issues had it seemingly wrapped up. Carrie became one of the most prominent lawyers specializing in revenge porn and offers victims legal support and a pathway to justice, whatever that looks like for them. Our expertise is dealing with people who've been stalked and harassed and um, victims of sexual assault and sexual trauma and, and getting justice for them. Sometimes it's just about getting an order of protection or helping advocate in the criminal justice system, or just sending a a cease and desist and getting the offender to go away forever. Other times it's 
we have to, um, the victim doesn't want to take any legal action, but just wants those images to, to be removed from the internet. And then we also do sometimes have really big cases um, against uh, like the city of New York when there's a retaliation against a student or um, our big case against Grindr because we felt they were facilitating um, our client being stalked. Um, but there, there, but basically the idea is that we, every client that comes to us has either been attacked or is under attack. And so we know what to do. And we've seen all these, these behavioral profiles over and over again. And, and the more you do something, the more expert you get. And so we, we can predict, you know, well, by sending a, a cease and desist letter to this kind of behavioral profile who is mentally ill and unrelenting and obsessed, we can know that's just going to escalate things. Um, whereas, oh, this other person, he he's threatening revenge porn, but he's actually got a really stable job and um, lives with, with and, ha and has a kid. And he's actually going to feel um, scared of a threat because it could take things away from, from him. More after this quick break. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment. Whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. 
Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Let's get right back to it. Carrie's case against the dating app grinder was one of the biggest fights of her career. In it, she sets her sight on legislation called Section 230, which basically says that tech platforms can't be sued for what people say on those platforms. Now, free speech advocates like the Electronic Frontier Foundation say Section 230 is what makes the internet the internet. But Carrie says that's exactly the problem. Forgive me if I like bungle this. From my kind of like layperson's research, I understand that it really comes down to Section 230, which I know that is something that you really, really have an issue with. You know, this is the section that allows tech companies to not be held liable for things that, that are said on their platform, the way that their platforms are used. Um, free speech advocates say that that section is like what makes the internet what it is. But you say that's exactly the problem, right? That we should be thinking about the internet in a different way. We should be building a different internet. I guess, how do we reconcile those two, those two arguments, I guess? You know, um, is there some way to preserve free speech online while also not letting tech companies just like avoid accountability for the way that their platforms are, are misused. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say to this. Bridget, you, you, you framed it like better, better than I could. Our client, Matthew Herrick was a waiter slash actor slash former reality star who lived in Manhattan in Harlem And he had just ended a relationship with a really controlling and abusive man. And among the ways that that man stalked Matthew was he um, started creating fake profiles on Grindr, the gay dating app, and then luring people to Matthew's job and to his home using Grindr's geolocating technology and DMing with, with the unknowing people. And... Over the course of several months, over 1,300 individuals came in person to Matthew's apartment and to his job, thinking that they were there to have sex with him. So imagine, just like in the course of this interview, if your buzzer rang three times with, you know, like, so it was sometimes as many as 23 people a day, Bridget. And, um, and you know, each time he, he didn't know who it was going to be. He didn't know if that person was going to be dangerous. Sometimes um, Matthew's ex would, would t- 
torment and taunt the visitors and say homophobic or racist things or say that Matthew had free drugs. And so sometimes the, the visitors would um, come really angry or tweaked out. Um, but always they were there thinking that Matthew had had um, rape fantasies and and stuff. So, I mean, it was scary. Like it was a, it was a crime that was happening to Matthew day in and day out every single day. And Matthew had gone to the police 10 times. He'd gotten an order of protection that the offender was violating over and over again. And nothing, nothing mattered. Matthew flagged the accounts with Grinder about 50 times by the time we came along. And then I was, um, I had just worked with a bunch of big tech companies at the time. This is like, um, the fall or the, the end of 2016. And I'd worked with a bunch of tech companies on their revenge porn policies. And so I was super like, I'll just call up Grindr's general counsel and get them to, to remove this, this user. And they ignored me too. And so I was like raging, raging with him. And we um, ended up getting a restraining order against Grindr um, saying that they had to remove this user, which, you know, it's not super common to get a restraining order against a tech company. Um, but we got it. And Grindr even ignored that. The, the, the visitors kept coming. And we, um, as we, you know, plotted our lawsuit against Grindr, we had to worry about um, the Communications Decency Act, Section 230, which was this law, as you mentioned, that went into effect um, back in... Uh, 1995, when the internet looked nothing like it does now. And um, the law was actually, you know, it's just a 26 word law that was part of a bigger law that basically banned pornography on the internet. But the other part of that law got, got deemed unconstitutional, in case you're wondering um, why we have porn on the internet. Um, it's it's not constitutional to to outlaw it, but but this little section survived, and it originally was was supposed to just make it so that you know if if a bulletin board, which was basically the way that you know people talk to one another online, if um, if somebody posted something defamatory um, on the bulletin board, there wouldn't be a lawsuit against the bulletin board, but but the defamation would be user to user. And it, you know, it kind of makes sense because then um, the the platforms are not tasked with this burden of of having to um, moderate all all the speech and all the the posts and, and stuff like that. But the issue is that um, over the the last you know twenty five years, um, that law has been interpreted by our courts in this really expansive way. And so anytime, you know, Twitter or Facebook or anybody gets sued for something that's happening to a user, they say, we're not liable um, because of Section 230. Um, you know, like you can't hold us accountable for anything that one user does to another. And courts have, you know, said, you're right, because all the other cases before you didn't. It's important to emphasize that Carrie isn't just talking about what someone says on a platform. 
If a platform allows an abusive user to impersonate you and set you up for a dangerous encounter in real life, it's a pretty big flaw. The issue is that the internet and apps and, and the, you know, are so much different now than they were. And we're not just talking about defamation, we're talking about, you know, geolocating technology and, and um, you know, social media companies, which have so much functionality. And we're talking about, you know, dating apps you know, and apps that are playing a role in, in matching users. And so, but we had to make it when we were filing this lawsuit so that we were not suing Grindr for anything that Matt's ex was doing to Matt because we knew it would get kicked out of court for violating Section 230. And so when Grindr's lawyers finally came to court and told us that they didn't have the technology to ban an abusive user, we were like, what? Like, you have the world's biggest dating app, and it's so foreseeable that, big, biggest dating app, you know, for, for gay people, it's so foreseeable that sometimes it's going to be abused by stalkers, by predators, and you've not designed into it, like, a way to stop abusive users? Well, then you've, you've released a dangerous product into the stream of commerce. And just like our product liability laws for cars, you know, that have airbags that don't go off or, or broken brakes or something, like Grindr had created a dangerous product. We say you shouldn't have been on the market in the first place. And the fact that you are, well, that's how we're going to sue you. Grindr still said, well, you're, you're, at the end of the day, you're still holding us liable for stuff this user's done to Matthew. It's not us. And the judge agreed with with Grinder, and we appealed and 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 kept losing at every stage, and ultimately petitioned to the Supreme Court and lost. And um, which happened, you know, this was from the beginning a real. Um, it, it was a very experimental lawsuit. Like at the time that we filed it, it was novel for us to even be for anybody to even be referring to. Um, apps as products. Everyone was saying their services, their services. But but now this idea has caught on and um and it's kind of changed the way that um that we think about apps and internet products. And the fact that we did have such you know that Matthew experienced such a horrific thing and he couldn't get justice, that's actually helped us fight for legislation. And, and so, as you mentioned, you've got all these people on the other side that, and I, I don't actually think it's all these people. I think they're just very vocal and they're getting paid a lot of lobbying money from, from big tech. Is the internet we have now working for everyone? Is it the version of the internet we want? Is it one worth preserving as is? Carrie doesn't really think so. But they're saying that... Um, Basically, the internet as we know it wouldn't exist um, without Section 230. Uh, and we're going to lose, you know, all the, this wonderful free exchange of ideas if we, if we lose Section 230. And I call total BS on that because, number one, you're assuming that the internet as we know it is a great place and that as we know it, like, should be, you know, like, preserved. Just, you know, it's kind of like any constitutional argument or, or make America great again. You're assuming that it is, that things are great. Um, and 
you know, you're assuming that, you know, that everyone has the same level of free speech. But I mean, speech on the internet really belongs to those who are the loudest and, and, uh, you know, for basically for um, companies, <laughs> Amazon, Facebook, um, um, Microsoft and Apple. I mean, they, they control the internet and we've got all our, our issues with, with antitrust. Um, and, and then you've, and also the, the quantity. So the most hostile people on the internet are the ones who have the greatest protections. Um, but, but also when we're talking about lawsuits and, and the right to sue, it's such a fundamental right. Carrie says that as long as tech companies have the kind of legal protection afforded to them by Section 230, it creates a situation where there's not a lot of avenues to hold them accountable. You know, like, the thing is, like, as you see with our, our, our cases against the New York City Department of Ed, like, for the cost of an index number, which is a couple hundred bucks, which you can get waived, I had a client who, you know, whose mom was a part-time home health aide and didn't speak English, you know, and they had they had no money to speak of. I had her suing the city of New York, which is worth multi-billion, you know, multi-billion dollar dollars. And that's the great equalizer in our country is that anybody can sue, even, you know, if there's been a harm. And and it's it's fundamental. And it's also how we keep our our big organizations, our companies from being total assholes. Because the threat of being being sued is is hits you in the bottom. You know, it's a bottom line issue. It costs money, and um, and it's why you know, like so many safety measures, whether we're talking about pharmaceuticals or cars, it's because of litigation that happened, or it's because of the fear of litigation, and and also it's because most companies want people to be safe. They want their customers and clients to not have a bad experience. You don't see that with big tech, though. You know, like the the wall off, you know, like if you had a crisis on Facebook, if let's say you're a parent and uh, your kid was manipulated into giving nudes to a, a pedophile and then he was sharing them online, you're a parent. Your first instinct was, you know, was who do I talk to? Who do I talk to? What's the phone number? Who's live to help me with this crisis? And it's just like a one-way street here where we're giving these companies all this information about us and, and, and stuff. And we can't, I mean, they are like, it's like Oz. Like they're the, behind this magic curtain and don't have to interact with us users. So as you were talking, it occurred to me that when you first started your law firm, the idea of revenge porn didn't even really exist. And it was through advocating for legal protections and working with victims that you helped usher in both a legal change and a cultural reimagining of what revenge porn actually is. And in listening to you talk about tech companies just now, it seems like you're poised to do that same kind of thing again when it comes to reimagining what role tech companies should play in creating an Internet that's safer for everyone, like a hard reset of how these companies operate. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true, Bridget. There's so much, there's so much work that can be done. And like, it's, it's a really critical time because you have all this concentrated power and wealth in such a few, you know, just a few companies. And that, 
the inequality in our in our society is just getting greater, you know, because of these companies. Because, and and also the power and the um, omniscience is also, you know, another thing that's just creating so much more inequality in in our our country. And the thing is, I do have so many cases where it's, you can't ignore that the facts are horrific. You know, an 11 year old who was sextorted and made to create all these videos and, and they were sent around on Instagram or my, my client who's, who uh, was, whose murder was basically live streamed um, or another client who was raped and murdered on a first date through match.com by a known sex offender. Like there's going to come become a point where the more cases like that. Okay. If even if these cases can't be brought in court or get kicked out. Like you can't deny that there is extreme negligence by these companies. Like, and we're just, I'm gonna just keep producing them until we get new law. And it's just like any other case where if you don't feel like you can become a victim, then you're not gonna care. But my, the whole purpose of my book and, and everything is, is, to, is to pound into this, in, into the, consciousness that we're all a moment away from becoming victims. Like all it takes is one person to decide they want to destroy you. You one bad interaction at the supermarket with somebody who finds out your name, they then have the right to, to, you know, go to pedophile websites and, and tell the world that you're a pedophile and good luck getting that down. You know, like, um, it's anybody can become a victim, but it shouldn't take that in order for us to have empathy toward victims and want to change the internet. And it's, you know, like this, we're not talking about, you know, somebody calling somebody else a bitch on Twitter. That's not the kind of speech that's going to be impacted. And we're not even talking about speech really, because this is all conduct, you know, and, but our law doesn't even see the difference there. I would, you know, like with Grindr, we weren't suing them for any words on the profile or any uh, words on the DM. We were suing them because this product was being used, you know, hundreds of times a day to try to get, get our client injured. It's not a speech issue. This is unjust. Carrie's work isn't just about the law. It confronts the cultural attitude that people who are victimized online deserve it or that it's just a sexy scandal rather than a serious crime, or that we should just expect that the internet is a place where we'll be mistreated. Why can't it be better than that? So what has it been like to have such a personal hand in challenging the internet to be better and safer and stronger, and working to build one where people with power are held accountable? Well, it's, it's so kind of you to, to um, describe me that way. I really um, feel flattered about that. Um, you know, I love my job and I love that as the owner of this law firm, I can decide what direction we go in and what fights to choose. I mean, that is an incredibly privileged and in position to be in. And, you know, like there are ways to use your law degree in a super awesome, fun, creative way. I mean, what's it been like? It's just like been fun but there aren't moments where I wake up and I feel like oh I'm this like really you know I've I've done it you know like like I've made it because there's always um somebody waiting 
to give me a bad verdict or, you know, a troll that, you know, cuts me down to size or, you know, like, um, there's, you know, there, there's very fleeting moments of, of, um, well, what should I call it? Fleeting moments of like success. I, I, I'm proud of what we do. I'm so proud of my staff. Um, but we're always humbled by, by the next fight. On her website, Carrie says the clients she works with aren't fragile like a flower. They're fragile like a bomb. Through her work with those clients, Carrie is blowing up our understanding of the internet by asking the big, bold questions about how it can be better. She's taken the darkness she faced and used it to build a brighter future. Got a story about an interesting thing in tech or just want to say hi? You can reach us at hello at tangodi.com. You can also find transcripts for today's episode at tangodi.com. There Are No Girls on the Internet was created by me, Bridget Todd. It's a production of iHeartRadio and Unboss Creative. Jonathan Strickland is our executive producer. Tari Harrison is our producer and sound engineer. Michael Amato is our contributing producer. I'm your host, Bridget Todd. If you want to help us grow, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional-grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.